We proclaim a name today. And that name is the name above every name, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what it's all about. It's good to see you this morning. Would you stand with me this morning for the reading of the word of the Lord? There's a sweet presence in this place this morning. Luke 5, verse 17 through 26. And we're going to jump over to Revelation 2, 1 through 5. Luke 5, 17 through 26. Revelation 2, 1 through 5. Who's excited for the word this morning? Amen. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by which, what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch onto the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear saying, we have seen strange things today. Right. Revelation 2 verses 1 through 5, Revelation 2, 1 through 5, under the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and I know thy labor, and thy patience, and how canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which they say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat, somewhat against thee because thou has left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Let us pray. Lord, we just ask for the oil of heaven in this place for our pastor today. And I pray that your will be done in this house. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, and you would stir something deep within us. You're forming us, Lord. You're making us more like you. Let us not just experience emotion, but let us let you form us and change us and shape us and shape our lives, Lord. Let your word do that in us and through us this morning. Anoint our pastor once again in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Zach. 
I know that's kind of confusing two passages of Scripture, and you're thinking, what in the world do they have to do with each other? I don't know. It took all week for me to figure out what the Lord was trying to speak to me. And uh, we're going to get into the Word of the Lord. But this morning, I want to try to preach to you what the Holy Spirit's placed within the deep recesses of my heart. And I don't know if I'll be able to get it all out and unveil to you what the Lord actually wants. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get to that Revelations chapter 2 and tie it all together. But these two stories do actually tie together. And I thought, well, Lord, you got to help me to get there because we got a little bit of ground to cover. So I want to get right into the Word of the Lord. But I want to talk to you today on fostering the presence of God. You know, we see in our text that Jesus was in his house at Capernaum and great groups of people came to hear his teachings and to be healed by him according to the word of the Lord. The Bible also reveals to us that there were so many in the house, so many people gathered in that house that, that there, all of the people could not get in. They were there to hear him preach. They were there to hear him teach and they were there to be healed of him. There were also great numbers of people standing outside of the house, looking in the windows, standing in the hallways, doing everything that they could to try to get a glimpse of this man called Jesus of Galilee. As I thought about this story, I thought, of, I thought to myself, why is there not the same excitement and enthusiasm to come to the house of God today and to hear him and to be touched by him? I wonder what was different back then than what is different right now. Now, why, why is there no passion or hunger to come and to see Jesus and to be healed and to be ministered to and to be touched by him in this 21st century? And even though Jesus isn't here in the flesh, yet according to the word of God, the Bible tells us we're too or three are gathered together in his name that he's in the midst with us. And even though we can't see him in a physical sense, we can see him through the eye of faith and in the eye of the spirit and we even have the invitation, oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is good here today. How many know that God wants to bless you here today? And whether we see him or not, he is here in this very room with us right now. And even though it isn't Jesus preaching the word here today, yet Jesus is the word that is being preached the very word that God is being proclaimed through my lips, the very words that I am preaching is Jesus. Matter of fact, John 1, starting with verse 1, says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by him. And without him there was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended the night. And there was a man that was sent from God whose name was John. He was not that light, but he came to bear witness of that light. Can I tell you here today that the words that I'm speaking to you, they are Jesus himself. Jesus is the word. And there's power in the word. And the scripture even tells us that the word of God will not go out void and it will accomplish that which God has sent it to do. He also promised that he would confirm the word with signs and wonders and miracles. And that's a promise to us here today. If I preach the word and if Jesus is the word, then God says I'll confirm that word among my people. How many believe that God's going to confirm his word here today? Can I have an amen? And this is what was said of the disciples in Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And they went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word with signs and wonders. Hebrews 2 and 4 says, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And even though Jesus is not here in his earthly body, yet nothing has really changed because Jesus is here in his spiritual body, the church, we, the believers. And listen to what it says about the manifestation of Christ in the New Testament church, the believer. It says in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new 
tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. In John 14 and 12, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, greater works than these that I do that you shall do because I go to my Father. Jesus may not be here in his earthly body, but he's here through the agent of the Holy Ghost. And I want to tell you, Jesus promised, if I depart, I'm going to send that Holy Ghost to you, that paraclete, one that comes alongside to help you, one that's just like me, and he's going to abide with you forever. And his presence is just as real here today as if it was Jesus standing behind this pulpit preaching the word of God. The same presence that was present in that house in Capernaum is present in this very room right now with you. The divine presence is in the palace of praise this morning. Give the Lord praise if you believe that. Then you may ask them, why don't we see the extra, extraordinary results that they seen that day when Jesus was in that house? It's because we've not learned how to foster the presence of God. Notice why the people were there in our text in verse 17. It says, and it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town in Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Did you notice the words, the power of the Lord's presence was there to heal them. The reason that they were there was because his divine presence was working miracles among them. Someone had fostered an atmosphere in that house for the miraculous to take place. Prior to our text, we see that Jesus healed a man of leprosy. I like this story. The Bible tells us as Jesus came into the city that this leper saw him and came running and fell down on his face and besought him saying, Lord, if thou will, thou can make me whole. First of all, let's look how that this leper fostered the presence of God. How he set in atmospheres for something supernatural to happen. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for the supernatural. I'm hungry for something to be able to move in our midst that's uh, extraordinary, uh, supernatural. Can I have an amen? I'm tired of the ordinary. I'm tired as church as usual. I'm tired of just coming in and walking out the same way I walked in. I'm here to tell you that God wants us to foster the presence of God to where it can be the breeding grounds to miracles in your life. No matter what kind of miracle you have need of here this morning, I'm here to tell you that if we'll foster the presence of God, God's going to do something in our midst. Oh, give him praise. Lift up your hand and praise him. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. He first, first of all, let's look how this young leper fostered the presence of God for his individual miracle. He first of all came running. There was no balking, no hesitating, no procrastinating. Delayed action can cause misopportunity. Just like the pool of Bethesda, you had to get in while the angel of the Lord troubled the water or you wouldn't have any results. And let me tell you something. We have something special taking place right here this morning. There has been a wonderful presence here don't take it for granted. Get involved with it. Honor it. Respect it. Reverence it. Desire it. Want it. Ask for it. Come on, somebody. Can I have an amen? Because delayed response is actually resisting available outcome and rejecting present possibilities. I don't know about you, but I got some things I have need of. There's some things I got, got want God to do. There's some prayers that ain't been answered yet. And I want to tell you, I don't have time to delay. I have to push into the presence of God and proclaim what's mine.
mine and rightfully mine because I'm an heir of God, I'm a joint heir of Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to live beneath my privilege any longer. Can I have an amen? This man truly believed that Jesus could heal him. That's why he came. Matter of fact, the Bible says he even come running confessing, you can make me whole. Amen. What are you confessing here today? He had a working faith. He came with expectation. He came anticipating that he was going to be healed by Jesus. Let me ask you a question. What have you come into this house anticipating from Jesus today? What is it that you've come in really wanting? What is it that you've laid before him? What is it that you're beseeching him for? What is it that you, you're saying, God, I can't live without this. This is what I need. I want to tell you, this is how the slipper came. He came with expectation. If only the church could respond in faith like that of the leper did, we would see the signs, the wonders, and the miracles like the early church did. We got to come in hungry. We got to come in wanting, desiring. Come on, somebody. We got to come in wanting more than just this church and we got to quit looking for the praise team to praise it down and the preacher to preach it down and the prayer warriors to pray it down we got to come in and say I gotta have this I'm hungry we got to foster the presence of God he didn't just only come running but he also fell on his face hey come on now there was a spirit of humility upon this man and a spirit of worship he worshiped him the bible tells us a broken and a contrite spirit oh god thou will not despise and we need to learn how to approach god in humility but much of the time we balk we hesitate we hold back we quench the spirit and in so doing it's nothing more than us having a root of pride we're actually having to th we actually think have to think it over as if we got choices to make or whether or not to obey the prompting of the lord God begins to prompt us to lift our hands. We'll sit there and fight it for 10 minutes before we do it. It's a, it's a spirit of pride. Come on, somebody. Well, what will people think? I don't care what anybody thinks. Come on, I'm, I'm tired of that nonsense. I, I'm tired of the, wanting to know what others' expectation is upon my life. You can forget about what you expected on my life. All I care is about touching Jesus and Jesus touching me. Can I have an amen? To hold back is the same as resisting the Holy Spirit and saying no to God. This man actually seen his need for God and he came running. Not hesitating, not balking. He looked at him and said, that man can make me whole. And boom, he took off. Our cautiousness is nothing more than an expression of our inner doubt and our unbelief. If we truly believe that we would get the outcome that we needed and the outcome that we desire by coming to Jesus, nothing would stop us from full steam ahead of running after Jesus Christ here today. And can I tell you, there's the only thing that stands between you and Jesus is your own self. Come on. He not only came running, he not only fell down and put his face to the ground, he knew his, his unworthiness and he also worshiped, yet he also besought him. This means he asked, he petitioned, he requested something of him. You know what James says? James says, he just gives us the answers to a lot of the stuff that we ask. You, you don't have because you don't ask. You have not because you ask not. And if we're going to foster the presence of God, we have to seek him. We have to ask him. We have to beseech him. Come on, somebody. The presence of God is not just going to fall out of the sky, but he will be manifested as his people seek his face and desire him and ask of him. 
The Bible tells us in Matthew 5 and 6, blessed are those that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. Second Chronicles 714, we quote it all the time. If my people say my people shall humble themselves and pray and seek, seek, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll forgive their sins and heal their land. And matter of fact, what does Hebrews 11 and 6 says? But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's what? A rewarder of them that diligently, diligently seek him. I like what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, 13. God said, you will seek him and you will find him when you seek for him with all your whole heart. As a matter of fact, Acts 17 verse 27, I got a revelation from that passage of scripture this week. It says, they that that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and might find him though he be not far from them. As I looked at that, I said, man, he just hit me between the eyes because what he said, I'm close, but I'm undetected. I'm near, but you can't see me. I'm right there standing, but you've not paid attention. You're not aware. How many of us are not even aware of the presence of God here today? He said, I am, he said, you might find him, though he be not far from you. And the Bible says that as we come in here with the natural eye, I do not see him. But I tell you one thing I do know, he's already revealed himself because I have felt him. Our worship was inspired of the Holy Ghost today. And I want to tell you that sign language song, if that didn't light your wood, your wood's wet, baby. I'm here to tell you. It, it was anointed of the Holy Ghost here today. And somehow, I want you to understand that when we come into a place like this, and we come in heavy laden, burdened with care, we're tired, we're fatigued, we've had a rough week, we can't just sit down and flop down and say, okay, God, do your stuff. God, just come on, so fall out of the sky on me. What we got to do is pursue him. We got to desire him. We got to seek after him. The Bible says if we might happily search for him or seek after him, feel after him is what this Bible says. It's like going into a dark room and there's nothing there. There's no light and you're feeling for the light switch. Have you ever done that? Come on now. And you're feeling around and all of a sudden you feel that thing on the wall and you hit the flinch, switch and boom, light appears. That's what God's saying he said, I'm right there close to you. But you got to feel after me until you find me. And when you find me, the light switch is going to go off. The revelation's going to go off. The inspiration's going to go off. My power's going to come. Just happily feel after me that you might find me. Can you lift up your hand and just start feeling after the presence of God? Oh, hallelujah, Lord. <coughs> now listen, I'm going to get into some stuff. It's really going to have to slow it down a little bit. There has to be a hunger for the presence of God and there has to be an urgency in the body of Christ and awareness of our need for God. The reason that many times the presence of God is not manifested in the church is because we don't see a need for him. People like their lives in general in the United States. We like where we're at. We're satisfied. We, got, we live in the status quo, but we're still satisfied. The whole concept of renewal in the body of Christ is founded upon the belief that all is not well. That's why we need to be renewed. Is that not right? If everything is as it should be, then there's no need for reform or revival. Amen? And too many say that they want to have revival, they want to have renewal without ever understanding or admitting that something's wrong or at least something's missing in our lives. It, it really offends God sometimes, I think, for big groups of people together like this, and yet, big portions of groups throughout the United States never even come to an altar. Come on. 
They never come to a prayer meeting on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night or Saturday night because they don't have the time. Or, well, I don't get nothing out of it. What do you mean get something out of it? It ain't about you getting something out. It's about you praying and seeking the face of God. It's about you getting hungry for the presence of the Lord. It's about you being desirous of him. Come on. I'm preaching now, but you're letting on. And I want you to know we got to understand that we got to come to a place that we're hungry for the presence of God. If everything is as it should be, then there's no need for reform or revival. Remember, no matter how good things are, things could always be better, and the enemy of great is good. Now listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this probably a couple of times. None of us have it all together. None of us has arrived to where we don't need anything from God. This is where the body of Christ is right now at, I think, in America. It's in a place to where we don't see our need for the Lord. As all is well, everything's in place, nothing is bad, nothing bad is happening, life is good. You know, and here's what we're saying when we say that. We are increased with goods and we have need of nothing. That's the Laodicean church age. And Jesus says, but you don't know it. You're lukewarm. I wish you were cold and hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of your mouth. You don't know it, but you're blind, miserable, poor, and naked. You don't even see your own need of me. You don't understand where you're at. You're increased with goods and have need of nothing. Everything's glorious and grand. The job's good. The kids are good. The school's good. The car's good. Everything's going great. So why do I have to ever go to an altar? Everything in my life is put together. Oh, God, help me. Am I being too mean here today? I don't mean to be. But we package and frame the concept that we must be all right with God due to the life, due to the type of lifestyle that we have formed from our past experiences that's brought blessing. We, we, we've been blessed. I look at my life, I'm blessed. I'm overwhelmingly blessed. And as a result of the blessing, I have formed a lifestyle to where I'm blessed. And what's happened is we are so wedded to the past that we can only think in the terms of what God has done for us in the past rather than what he desires and wishes to do presently within our future. Oh, come on. We're so focused on that moment we had 10 years ago that we can't see right now what he wants to do right now. Oh, God. No matter how good God has been in your past, he wants to be and wants to do more within your future. There should never be a moment in your past that is greater than your expectation for your today and tomorrow. Oh, I gotta say that again. Come on, somebody. God gave me this. There should never be a moment in your past that is greater than your expectation for your today and your tomorrow. Now, I'm gonna say this one twice too because he gave me this. These are Kit Miller's words. I didn't read this stuff out of a book. Your past blessing may help form you of who you are today, but they have not completed in you what you are to be. I want to say it again. Your past blessings may help form you of who you are today, but they have not completed in you of what you are to be. Too many are basing what they are today on an experience that they had way back in their past, sometimes 40 years ago. 
sometimes 30 years ago. They always say, do you remember when? I, I'm not, I, I, I do take that and say, thank God for what he's done. But you know what? I'm so tired of hearing people talk about the 1970s and the, the good old days. I want to open your eyes. Today can be a good day because every good gift and every perfect gift coming from above and coming down from the Father of lights, where there's neither violence nor shadow of attorney. If it's not good today, it's because we're living off stale bread of yesterday. And God said, give me something new for today. That old song, oh, Lord, just give me another touch. My strength from yesterday is gone. And, Lord, if you'll just give me another touch, I'll have the strength to carry on. Somehow we have lost that art to understand that God's not a God of yesterday only, but he's a God of today and he's a God of forever. And God wants to do some wonderful things in our midst here this morning. Too many are basing what they are today on an experience that they had over 40 years ago. Your past blessings were important, but they must not get, negate the future blessings that God has for you to bring you into your complete destiny for your life. And regardless if you know it or not, we're in need of God's touch here today. I need him every day. The old songs that sing all these wonderful, deep, you know, theological things and they got all these wordings right. All I got to say, I can't even go to Walmart without him. Can I have an amen? And the truth of the matter is God wants to manifest himself to us more than we want him to be manifested. That's sad. Then what is our problem? Where does our hindrance stem from? What is the root of our problem as the body of Christ? And what do we need to deal with on an individual basis? And we come in here and if we're not getting everything God desires for us, then what's the problem? Where does the root lie? Let's examine the scripture as we, and as we examine it, we may not like what we find out about ourselves. Jesus heals a leper, and then he charged him. He said, don't go tell anybody. But the man couldn't keep it quiet, and you know he ran out, and he testified of all that Jesus done for him. And then Luke 5, 15 of our text comes into play, but so much the more when there went a fame abroad of Jesus, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed of him by their infirmities. This guy couldn't keep his mouth shut, and he went out, started speaking it, and because of what he spoke, a fame went out about Jesus. Now, I'm not going to stay here because this is not my message, but I think it's just worthy to speak about. There are two types of evangelism, and I'll just tell it and then go on. But number one, there's the evangelism of going out. This man fostered God's presence by testifying of Jesus to an outside world. And I told you last week or the week before, whenever we preach, about the importance of the word of your testimony. Folks, we got to get out from the four walls of this church and we got to tell people about Jesus. Now, I'm going to stop there. But number two, there is also the evangelism of gathering in. And this is where you foster the presence of God in the house to where the house gains recognition of the presence of God. That's where we're going this morning. When in return, if you get God's presence fostered in the house, it causes people to come and be drawn to that house. Great multitudes, the Bible said, came to the house to hear him to preach and to be healed of him. They came expecting something. Number one, they wanted to hear what they needed to do and get instruction. Their hearts were open to change, and they also said, but we came to be healed. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that they came out from every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. The whole region, the whole region came out to see him. How many would like to see the whole state come out to our church? Come on, somebody. How'd you like to see some 
Illinois license plates in our parking lot and Arkansas license plates in our, Oakland. Come on, somebody. Somebody help me preach here. This is not impossible. Amen? This little house at Capernaum gained more recognition than the Grand Cathedral Temple in Jerusalem. Think about that. This house had more presence than the temple did at Jerusalem. And I got to thinking about that. There was a time that this happened in Ninth and Cedar. I can remember when people come out of the woodwork. They were coming out. We had a, a growth period. We had a revival with J.D. Richardson, and after that revival, things exploded. We just had like, I don't know, 60, 70 people when he came, and when he got done, I'm telling you, he left, and it just continued, and it continued, and people were flocking into that church. It was in that little old stucco church, and we filled that thing. We filled it to the brim. And then we thought, okay, we didn't even have any halter room because we had chairs all out in the front, had chairs down the hallways. And, and then we put chairs up on the stage and, I, and I'd work my way up and I'd preach and I couldn't go nowhere because there's people everywhere. And then we opened the doors and the ushers set out chairs on the outside of the park, on the, on the sidewalks. And as I preached, Literally on Ninth and Cedar, there were people in that area. There was one couple in particular that lived across the road up in a two-story house in an apartment, and they heard the word. The windows were open, and I preached, and they had the doors open, and people were sitting on the sidewalks, and the word went out and went up into that room, and they heard the word, and they said, as we begin to start heading towards the church, we were going down the steps, and Jesus saved us, and they came down and made their way to an altar, and God gave the he gave the life to Jesus Christ. We can have those days. We talk about them in yesteryears, but I'm here to tell you the possibility is for today. When this man gave his testimony of Christ, healing, healing him of leprosy, the Bible says that there were also Pharisees, scribes, lawyers, there were zealots there, and doctors of the law sitting by. And these were those that strictly followed the Mosaic law as well as the extra regulations found in the oral law, which was nothing more than the opinions and the commentaries and the writers of men. And what this done is it placed unscriptural heavy burdens upon the people because their religion was a religion of bondage instead of freedom and blessing. It was a religion of rules and regulations instead of righteousness. And it was a religion of works instead of lifestyle of worship. Now, this is really where all this came about. God began to put these scriptures together early in the week or in, the, in part of the week. And I battled, God, I don't know what you want. You want me to preach out of Revelations 2 or do you want me to preach out of this? They don't match. And this is where it all began to come together for me. Because all of a sudden when I seen that and I looked and I seen these religious Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, and the zealots and the doctors of the law there, I thought to myself, how could God's presence be fostered in the house where they were at? How could that be? Because we have an example in the scriptures on many occasions, Jesus was hindered by these people and he could not do his mighty works, especially in his own town in Nazareth. As a matter of fact, when Jesus went to his hometown Nazareth, the Bible says he went in the synagogue. And the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, and there he read. And he read out of the book of Isaiah. And listen to what he read. Jesus stands up in front of all these Pharisees and Sadducees and the doctors of the law, them in Nazareth, his hometown. 
He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set, to set liberty of them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He gets up and he says, I'm here to set people free. I'm here to heal broken hearts. I'm here to open blinded eyes. Come on, somebody. But even though he preached and proclaimed that to them, there was not one manifestation of healing among them. Nothing happened. Nothing took place, but yet he was proclaiming, that's why I'm here. I'm asking you today, are we meeting the conditions to receive what Christ has for us here today? Do we even recognize what he wants to do to us here today? These people were so blinded, he gets up and tells them why he was there. I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm, uh, I've sent to heal the brokenhearted, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, to open the blinded eyes, to make the lame to walk. I'm here to do that. They couldn't hear it. It was just like going through deaf ears. And then I come into a place like this sometimes and I wonder, do we really anticipate and understand what he wants to do among us? Is his desire being fulfilled? You're getting quiet with me here today. As we sit here, we have a solemn obligation to say, God, whatever you want to do with me, do it. Ha, I'm available. I'm yielded. I'm open. Come on. Why, why is it that when we begin to talk in those terms, it's easy to criticize the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but if we're not careful, we can't take criticism for ourselves. Come on now. Then the Bible says the people wondered, the Pharisees said, you see, at his words, which he spoke, and they said, is not this Joseph's son? Unlike the leper who came running, fell down, worshiped him, beseeched him, and said, oh, you're Lord. And they're saying, oh, you're Joseph's son? These people wondered, pondered, analyzed, questioned, balked, hesitated, and tried to figure him out. Isn't this Joseph's son? This don't make sense. I'm here to tell you today, quit trying to be analytical and understand God because if you wait to move when you understand it, you'll never move because he's bigger than you are. And when you try to figure Pentecost out, what happened after the miracle took place of our text when they put the man down through the roof and he healed that man and, 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 and the, they, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were there to hinder begin to criticize who can heal sins, uh, for, who can forgive sins but Jesus, uh, but God alone. And he said that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Well, it would be easier to say, uh, take up your bed and walk. He said, get up and walk. And he got up and he walked and it proved to them he was the Son of God. And when it was all over, this is what they said, we have seen strange and unusual things here today. It's time that we start seeing strange and unusual things in the house of God. Come on. I don't know if I want to go down there. They're weird. Hallelujah. Weirdness sometimes is acquainted with God. Can I have an amen? I'm not talking about being crazy, but strange things happen. Come on. When the presence of God has his way. When people begin to move and they express themselves out of their own emotion, people can get weird in their expression and it's all right. Some dance, some shout, some cry, some sit silent, some fall out. Come on, somebody. But we need the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. These people wondered, pondered, analyzed, questioned. Amen. Jesus then said to them, 
you will say this proverb unto me. He prophesies. He said, this is what you're going to say to me. This is the proverb he quoted. Physicians, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. Let me break it down for you. Jesus said, you're going to say and say to me, hey, strange rumors have reached our ears of thy doings at Capernaum. We have heard how that powers reside in you to cure the illness of humanity over there. Why have you done this in Capernaum, but you've not done it here at home at Nazareth? They say, lay your hands on a few sick folk that we might see and believe. That's what they ask him. Why have you done it among strangers, but you've not done it among your own kin right here at your own home? And they say, a physician's first place is his home. He is to heal himself, then his friends and his family around him. But you've not chosen to heal any of them. You have chosen to heal at Capernaum. They couldn't understand that. Come on. Here this bunch is. They gathered together in the temple. Jesus preaches a fabulous sermon, but yet nothing happens. And then they begin to say, well, we heard this real rumor down here at Capernaum that you tore the place up. But he said, why haven't you done that here in the temple right where we're at? Why haven't you done it among us? Why haven't you revealed yourself to us? You know, I think Jesus wanted to say, when you reveal yourself to me, I'll reveal myself to you. When you'll come clean, I'll, I'll show up. When you humble, when you seek me, when you really want me, I'll come. I'm, I'm here. Because he did come to me, I'll know why I was cast out. But then, you know, I'm going to get ahead of my notes a little bit. But he literally tells them, it's because of your unbelief. And then he said, a prophet is without honor even his own home and among his own kin. And then he really says something important. Listen to me. He said, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up, three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, except unto Zarephath, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And then he says, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, saving one, Naaman the Syrian. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, when Elijah the prophet was alive, and while he was in Israel, there were all kinds of widows in Israel. But none of the widows in Israel received the benefits and the blessings. It had to be that woman down in Zarephath at Sidon. She was. And during the time of prophet the Elijah, many, many lepers were in Israel. But none of them were healed. Only one were healed. It was a man by the name of Naaman, and he was a Syrian. In other words, you do it for everybody else, but you won't do it for your house? Come on, I'm, on, I'm on going somewhere. And then the Bible says when they heard Jesus' words, it pricked them. The Bible says they were filled with wrath and anger, and they rose up to thrust him out of the city. They did not want to be confronted with raw truth. Jesus, on many occasions, he gave compliments even to these Pharisees and Sadducees and these sects of religious people. He complimented them on their dedication for holiness. I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but he complimented them on their tithing. He said, you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin. He said, he complimented them on their outward dress. He said, you appear righteous on the outside, and he was commendable. He wasn't cutting them down. 
Although he did later on say, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. He complimented them of their works and them keeping of the Sabbath and the law. He was complimentary, man. Everything they were doing right, he was complimenting. He wasn't against them. But then he said, you have omitted the weight of matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These you ought to have done and not leave the other undone. He said, in other words, those things that deal with the inner, inner self, you're doing everything on an outward appearance, but the heart you've not learned how to deal with yet. And he said, you're doing things to try to find me, but you got to find me, and out of what you find me, you can do the works. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, I cannot do mighty works among you because you don't know me. If God's presence couldn't be fostered in Nazareth in his own town due to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the doctors of the law and the scribes, then how could it have been fostered in Capernaum because those same people were there? How? It's because the house was first filled, not with them, but filled with the hurting, the sick, the afflicted, the needy, and they fostered his presence by treating him like the leper did. They were worshiping him. They humbled before him. They asked him petition of him. They sought him. They desired him. They hungered and they thirsted after him. They reverenced him, honored him, and, and respected him. They called him Lord. And they even come with anticipation saying, we've come to be healed of you. Come on, somebody. And all of a sudden, what fostered the presence of God was nothing more than the people's awareness, I need God. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to beseech him. I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to beg him. I'm going to plead with him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to treat him as Lord. I'm going to magnify him. Come on, somebody. But a lot of times we do not come into the house with that kind of an attitude. And as a result of it, we don't foster the presence of God. Come on, somebody. As I look at our days, sometimes I think we're like Nazareth in America, and I think we're like the Pharisees. We ask, where are you at, God? Instead of the church seeking and begging and pleading, they're saying, where are you at? Instead of believing God and taking his Bible and his word, why don't you do what you do in other countries here? Why is it you're moving over here in Africa and great thousands and multitudes of people are giving their life to the Lord and being filled with the Holy Ghost? Why is it, Lord, that you're giving dreams and visions to those in third world countries, but you're not doing it here? Come on. God, why don't you do your works in America like you're doing among the Muslim nations and in Iran? The fastest growing church in the world is in Iran, underground, where if you get caught, you're dead. Another fastest growing church is in China, in a regime of communism. And we got our ease. And we walk in and we flop down, so blessed. And we treat God so casually, unreverently, unrespectfully. If you can move me, bless God. I'm a tree that's planted by the rivers of water and I shall not be moved. That's our theme song. 
We don't want to put any energy into it, any sacrifice, any time. We just come in and say, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen today. No preparation. No time spent through the week with God. Preparing, opening our hearts, anticipating. We get out of our cars and shut up, kid. Pow, 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 pow. I'll deal with you, honey, when I get home. And we'll flop down on the chair. And what we ought to do is when we pull on the grounds, we enter in his gates with thanksgiving. We enter in his courts with praise. And we bless his holy name. Hallelujah. We get out of the car. Come on, we got to get to the house of God. We got to get to the house of God. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. For me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. Hallelujah. We got to come in with a hunger. I think I hear Jesus saying to the American church, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. How you can't bear them which are evil. Oh, you can get on the television, you can spot evil a mile away and you don't like it. He's commending us. You're against abortion. Come on. You're taking a stand against mutilating young boys and making them girls. Amen. You're, you, you know, he's saying this to the American church. You can spot evil. You see what the government's doing? You see what's taking place? You'll make a stand. You'll vocalize it. I, I commend you for that. He says, you've tried them which say that they're apostles and they're not. You found them liars. As to a most extent, he's saying, most churches, not all, most churches are sounding doctrine. He said, you're able to see a false prophet. You're able to detect a false apostle. You say, there are people who say they're apostles. You found them to be liars. You've held on to sound doctrine. He's commending them. He said, man, you're straight as a gum barrel, doctrinally. And then he says, and that has borne and has patience. And for my name's sake, has labored and has not faded. Oh, you're good about laboring. You're good about doing spiritual stuff. Come on. You're good about event-driven church. You're good at that. And you should be, and I commend you for it. He's not against it. But then he says, but some, I have somewhat against you. Oh, no. You're doing all the right stuff. But when it comes down to the line of God putting a scrutiny on you, he said, but I got a problem with you. You're waiting the balance. You've been found wanting. Your problem is you've left your first love. He was saying, you have chosen duty over devotion. 
You become a Martha instead of a Mary, and you're overcome with care and heaviness because you haven't took the time to sit at Jesus' feet. You haven't come and felt after him and wanted him and desired him. You came in participating in an event, but the event ain't good enough. You haven't been able to receive from me because you're too busy. Amen. And then he says these words, remember from where you're fallen and repent. He looks at the church of Ephesus and he says, because you're good in all these things, I commend you, but because you lack in this one area, you've fallen. You've got to repent. These people have tried to find favor in their works instead of their worship and their devotion. He commended them just like he did the Pharisees for doing the right thing. He told the Pharisees, you do all these things right, but inwardly, you're like dead men's bones. Outwardly, you appear white and garnished. He said, but you're trying to serve me through all the law and through all the works and through all the tithing and through all of the church services. He said, I've been in church services with you, but you wouldn't let me move. I preached out of Luke himself, told you why I was there, but you wouldn't let me move. I was there to manifest myself, but you didn't let me. As a matter of fact, when I got done and told you why I wouldn't move, you got mad and thrust me out of the city and wanted to kill me. Sometimes a move of God can be very offensive to people. Then he tells us, repent. Do your first works over. You know what he's saying? Do exactly what you've done when you got saved. Come and fall at the mercy of God and say, I need you. Oh, Lord, how I need you. Oh, God, I've been preaching for I don't know how long, and there's just times I come to him like a worn-out rag. And I say, God, I thought I knew it all, but I don't. I've studied for 37 years and thought I had a little bit of knowledge, but I've come to find out I don't know nothing. All I know is, God, when I started, I needed you. And God, I found out in the middle of my journey, I needed you. And I'm finding out at the end, I need you. I've not grown up to where I have independence, to where I can rely upon myself. It's not about me making a living for my family. It's not about me putting money in the bank. It's not about me having a good life. It's not about me having all these excess stuff. God, it's about me. Me knowing you and you knowing me and that I might be found favorable in your sight. Oh, oh, I thought I'd look and see what time it is, but I don't care. Hallelujah. Would you stand right now and give God honor and glory? 
Thank God for the tongue's interpretation. That's him manifesting himself among us. He said he would do it. He's doing it. He promised us. I got so much more to preach, but I got to stop because the Spirit's prodding me to stop. And I can tell you this, and we've said it for I don't know how long, that God wants to palace of praise for a holy habitation of this last day move. He wants to come down and inhabit this place. And notice that it was the hurting, the wounded, the sick, the outcast that fostered the presence of God. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, I don't want to bring severity to America in order to bow the, get them to bow their knee, but I will if I have to. If that's what it takes to get them to understand that they got to have a need for me, all the stuff that I've blessed them with, I can take it away. I can crumble this nation and I can bring this nation. To, but that is not God's will. But I'm here to tell you, if we're not careful, if we keep a pharmaceutical mind when we come to the house of God and we treat him like the Pharisees did and we don't open ourselves up and say every day, every hour I need thee, O Lord. Every hour I need thee. If we don't come into this place and understanding this is a place that we connect with God, doesn't mean that every service that we're going to receive a certain miracle ourselves, but it does mean we're opening ourselves up to be pliable and usable for the presence of God, to bring a word of encouragement, to bring a, a miracle to somebody else. It may be that we just come and we're just offering the sacrifice of our worship and we pour into and feel after him and we might not always turn the light switch on every single service, but that's okay. God wants us to foster the presence of God. And there's one scripture that just scares me to death. He looks at the church of Ephesus. You're fallen, you need to repent, you need to do your first works over. And then he tells the Gentile bride, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you will in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. That's scary. You can't enter into the presence of God. You won't enter into the presence. You won't understand the presence of God. And can I tell you, when we start fostering the presence of God out of our neediness and out of our faith, out of our persistence, out of our worship, out of our desire, out of our hunger, you know what will happen? Here comes the bugs. Here comes the Pharisees. Here comes the Sadducees. And they'll come and they'll sit among us and they'll whisper in our ears. They'll tell you everything that's wrong with the church and they'll criticize and they'll bicker and they'll throw little seeds of doubt. They'll throw little seeds of sarcasm and they'll throw us seeds of, 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 of difference in, in your ear. And that's when you got to say, uh -uh. I see what your life's all about, but I got my focus upon Jesus. Jesus is in the house. I'm going to ask you, would you come and see Jesus this morning for a moment? Would you take time out of your busy schedule to say, I want to foster the presence of God? 